Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. If you have a Bible or your phone or whatever it is, you can go to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to do the whole chapter. Last week I was talking to Anthony, called him after the service, needed to catch up on something, and uh, he said to me as we were talking, he said, Marv, I have the unbelievable skill of forgetting things quickly. It's like, okay, yeah. He's, and he just repeated it a couple of times, like, yep, don't worry, I, I forget things real fast. And I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, me too. Last week I was coaching uh, my U11 basketball team, we were coaching the game, and I met the coach of the Waterloo Wildhawks after the game. And he told me his name, and by the time I got to the car, I had no idea what his name was. You ever been in that spot? No lie, sometimes I meet people in this church for the first time, and the next week I'm like, please don't ask me if I know your name. Because you forget things so quick. We forget things, but there's a couple things I want to tell you today that we need to remember as we serve God, that we want to work hard to not forget. Here's the first one. Opposition is certain. Opposition is certain as you serve God. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was very, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the many, uh, and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore, for them, uh, restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish them up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite who was beside him, he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. These people are working to make a wrong thing right. Remember that Nehemiah came home, he's like, city's a mess, wall needs to be restored. But the opposition is coming at them with all their might. And at this point, we've, we've heard of this Sanballat and Tobiah. We've heard of these guys. And you're maybe wondering, why are they opposing this rebuild so bad? Why do they want to stop this so bad? Well, the reality is, is that a restored and strengthened Jerusalem would actually weaken their influence in the area. They had strong influence. They were also, history says, making some real profit out of the city being a mess. And so it would actually have affected their income. And what that tells you is sometimes people oppose the work of God because it threatens their influence, their power, and their pockets. And so they're like, we just need this thing to stop. And they engaged in psychological warfare. They belittled the people. In verse 2, they said, what are these feeble Jews doing? They questioned their ambition. It says, will they finish up in a day? 
Will they, will they be able to get anything right out of this, this rubble, this rubbish? They lied about their work. Look at verse three again. It says, Tobiah was beside him and he said, yes, what they're building, if a fox goes up, up on it, uh, he will break it down their stone wall. So he's like, if a fox climbs on this wall, it'll, it'll fall apart. That's a lie. Here's why you, you can know it's a lie. The wall that they built was nine feet thick. I don't know if you've seen a fox before, but I don't think it's going to fall over. It's a lie. They lied about their work. And here's the thing. I said this before. When people oppose you, they recruit. They recruit. Look at verse 7. It says, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the, the, repairing of the, wall, the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and the branches were being, beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Did you notice that the group has grown again? And what you got to see here, I'm going to show you on the map, is that the opposition is from all sides. So you got Sanballat of Samaria, he's in the north. The Ashdodites, what direction is this? Because it's slipping me. West. Then you got Tobiah, what's that one? I just want to get you involved. East. And then the Arabs are in the... Okay, opposition is from all sides. And I'm showing you that because sometimes when opposition comes to your life, it's coming from all sides. You ever notice that? Sometimes opposition can come from inside the church. You ever feel that one? Sometimes opposition is coming from the culture. Sometimes opposition is coming from people in your family. What are you doing following that Jesus guy? What's up with that? Sometimes opposition is just coming from a neighbor. They know what you're about, and all of a sudden now it's just, they're just ignoring you. You ever see that? Just when people are trying hard not to make eye contact, it's like, bro, I know you can see me. Comes from all sides. And here's the thing. When people question you, when they belittle you, when they mock you, temptation, the temptation that you face is the temptation to retaliate. Don't you feel that sometimes? I feel it. When you get mocked, you're like, oh, there's, I could go at you. There's so many things I see about you that I could say. Retaliation is a real temptation, but I want you to watch Nehemiah. Verse 4, he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are, they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger. Here's the thing you got to catch. When people are opposing you for your faith, they're really opposing God. They have opposed you, you to anger in the presence of the builders. He rejects retaliation, and he chooses to ask God to intervene. When you are experiencing opposition, the greatest thing and the best thing you can do, the best weapon you have is prayer. To go to God in prayer, he can do more than we can do to the opposition. Now, some people, they hear this prayer and they're like, man, this, this prayer sounds unloving. Don't you feel, don't, when, you, when you hear it, he's like, he's like, blada, he's, like, he's like, make sure they get destroyed. Return it on their heads. Mervyn Brenneman says, the prayer in verse 5 for God not to cover their enemies' guilt was not a prayer against their salvation, but for divine justice. 
It was a prayer for God to act. They had sinned against God and his people. Nehemiah did not want this sin to be overlooked. He says, God, you make this wrong thing right. Because I know if I put my hands on it, I know if I step in and try to get it right, I'm probably going to make a bigger mess. And so he calls on God to do the work. Here's this next thing you got to remember. The enemy is plotting. When we serve the Lord, the enemy is plotting. Verse 6 says, so we built the wall So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had the mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Here it is in verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. Their enemy was plotting. Here's what you need to know about our enemy. He's prowling. First Peter says that Satan is like a lion. He's prowling, seeking someone to devour. What you got to understand is Satan is not at Starbucks drinking lattes. He's actively trying to destroy you and do damage to your life. I think sometimes as Christians, the, the, the reality of spiritual warfare gets lost on us. That we have a very real, sometimes don't you look in your life and you're like, mm, all of, Sean was telling me about this the other day, that, that, that Shep, uh, Mila was just got up in the middle of the night, the night before he's supposed to preach, and just puking everywhere. And Natalie just looked at him and said, why is Satan doing this? And it's a good question. He's going to get up, he's going to preach, and he did a great job, by the way, handling the word last week, but he's up all night. And so we look at that and we're like, oh, that might just be coincidence. No, maybe it's Satan actively trying to make him fatigued to wear him and Natalie out so that when he gets up here, he cannot give you the word in the way God wants him to give it. There is a real reality that we have a real enemy actively opposing us, plotting, and we sleep on that sometimes. Just look at your prayer life. Are you actively saying, God, help me against this enemy that's real, that's there? You live in a culture that tells you that Satan's just this red guy that pops up on your shoulder. They make a joke of what is very real. That is a true reality. He's looking to destroy, but the people teach us to fight. Notice, they got together and prayed. Verse 9 says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as, uh, as a protection against them day and night. Here's the people who knew they had a friend in Jesus. Didn't you sing it? Here's the people who actually had some peace in the middle of the night. Why? Because they brought everything to God in prayer. Sometimes all we need to do to, to fight against the enemy is to get together for a good old prayer meeting. To get together and pray for one another. There's, there's power in our corporate prayer. Say there's power. Come on, say there's power. Say it like you believe it. There's power. There's power when we get together and pray against the enemy. Next, they secured vulnerable places. They knew the enemy was plotting, so they, they, they secured the places that were vulnerable. Look at down at verse 13. It says, so in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the wall and open places... I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, 
and their, their bows. They made sure there was nowhere that they could get attacked. They secured where they were vulnerable. And you got to do the same in your life. It's at this point when you're reading this text that you should be asking, where am I weak? Where, where, what are the places in my life that when I look, it's just easy for the enemy to slip in? Where, am I, where's, where's it easy for me to be tempted? Where's it easy for me to give in and give Satan a spot to drive me to a place where I'm doing the thing that God does not want me to do? You have to, and I have to slow down and look at our life. And then when we see gaps, we got to close those gaps. Fight the battle because the battle is real. Next, they got weapons to fight. It was there in verse 13. He says that he gave them swords, spears, and bows. He, Nehemiah's like, you need this. You got a real enemy, so here are these things to equip you for the battle. And do you know that God's done the same thing for us? That you, you have a spiritual enemy and that God has actually given us weapons to fight in the battle. Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand firm. Stand therefore, having, here it is, fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as, for, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. If you're not aware that Satan's coming at you, you're not reading your Bible. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When you pick up your Bible, when you choose to open the word, you are playing good defense. And it's a gift from God that we are to use. We are to put on the armor every day because Satan is prowling all the time, actively working. Here's this next one. As we serve the Lord, we need to remember that discouragement is normal. I'll just let it sit with you for a minute. Discouragement, when you're walking with God, is normal. See, sometimes in church, we present like as always happy days. And it's not always happy days. Sometimes there's discouraging days. Verse 10 says, in Judah, it was said, the strength that those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall, the literal, if you translate, translate this in a very literal way from the Hebrew, it's actually very poetic. They say this, the strength of the burden bearer is drooping, the rubbish heap so vast, and we are unable by ourselves to rebuild the wall. Do you remember how excited they were when the work started? And isn't it, isn't it that way sometimes? You come to the faith and you're excited, you're feeling good, everything is bright and new, and then a month goes by. And you start to see how hard it is sometimes to follow Jesus. They were excited. Now they feel 
defeated. They've done a lot already, but they think they cannot take no more. You got to think, 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 they've actually built a ton of walls, but they're like, we can't do any more. We've had enough. See, discouragement always distorts reality. Do you know that? Discouragement distorts reality. Discouragement makes you lose sight of how much you've already done. It gets you focusing on all that is, that is left to do and you've lost sight of how far you have come. That's what discouragement can do. It makes you realize that you used to be at a two and now you're at a seven. But you're like, but I'm not at a 10. It distorts reality. They're discouraged by the task. They're discouraged by the threats. Look at verse 11. It says, and our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near came from all directions and said to us, 10 times, you must return to us. So the people who are, or who are in Jerusalem who have come there to work, they're feeling threatened. But then the family that they left back home, they're also like, we're under threats. You've got to come back. Like, it says 10 times. When you read your Bible, pay attention to names, locations, numbers that you get. 10 to, so they're coming over and, oh, you've got to come home. You've got to come back. You must return. And here's what I learned from this. Here's what I learned. The Bible never presents an idealistic portrait of life. Scripture keeps it very, very real. Think about this story. If you were, if you were listening and reading the story and there was never a moment where Nehemiah and them ran up against some kind of challenges, this story actually wouldn't inspire you. It would be very discouraging. Because if they showed you that, that it was all perfect, everything went smooth all the time, what you would be presented with is a world that is completely different than yours. It would be discouraging. Here's this next one. Sometimes we pray and things get worse before they get better. Come on, is, are you guys just gonna leave me here? Sometimes we pray. They prayed. And things got worse. Don't you see this in the life of Jesus? He prays in the garden and things got worse before it got better. He prayed and he still went to the cross. He prayed and he still died in our place for our sins. But then resurrection came. Sometimes we pray and it's still tough. One commentator said, prayer is not a convenient device for removing life's problems, but a loving provision from God for coping with them. And sometimes we go in prayer and we're like, oh, this is just this little tool that's going to make my life easier and that's why I'm using it and I'm asking God just to take this thing away and God says, yes, I know you're praying, but there's just going to be a little bit more time. Because in that struggle, we're being sanctified. God is working on us and helping us and growing us. And believe it or not, when you're waiting, when things get a little bit worse, before they get better, God is actually maturing you and preparing you to be the kind of person who's able to help somebody else when their tough moment comes. And so we pray and we wait and we trust. 
And I'm not saying that to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm saying that because I want us to know the real realities of life. This last one. Discouragement comes from practical challenges and people's actions. Discouragement comes from practical challenges and people's actions. Sometimes we're discouraged, I said this before, because of the process of sanctification. God, why am I still dealing with that thing? Why am I not over that just yet? Why is that still going on? Sometimes we're discouraged because of the choices made by the people we love. We look and like, why are they doing that? Why are they living that way? Why won't they come away from that? Sometimes we're discouraged because our good desires are still unmet. We have good desires, and I don't always know why God takes the time he takes to give us those things that we want. Sometimes we're discouraged simply by the cost of living. Aren't you? No lie, every time Kim comes from the grocery store, I think I might faint. You spent what? Eggs cost what? What'd they pay for that house? Huh? On this street? It's hard. Sometimes we're discouraged by the stress of parenting. I'm not even going to hang on that one. Sometimes we're discouraged by the decisions of our employer. They could do something to make your life way easier, but they seem to just be making it hard. Sometimes we're discouraged because of the things we've done in the past. One of the ways Satan gets at you is he brings those things back, doesn't he? But what does the Bible say? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If it's in the past, it's in the past. If God's got his eye on you now because you've repented and asked forgiveness, he's looking at you with love. Sometimes we're discouraged because of the state of our physical health and our emotional health. Discouragement is real and it's normal. Discouragement can come like waves on a windy day. But here's here's where I'm going with this. When discouragement comes, we can help each other navigate the waters. Watch this. When someone is discouraged, pull them into community. It says, so in the lowest parts of the space, verse 13, behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans. Notice that Nehemiah, he put them in groups. And when he put them in groups, what they realized was, oh yeah, we're not in this all by ourselves. Oh yeah, I'm not the only one going through. I'm not the only one struggling. I'm not the only one dealing with the trials of life. Here's the thing. Nehemiah knows that when someone is discouraged, the worst thing you can do is leave them in isolation. And all we got to do here is we got to look around. Because sometimes discouragement is very visible. And we just got to say, hey, you know what? We're going to go do this thing. Come on with us. First time I ever met you, but here, let's go. Pull people into community. When someone is discouraged, remind them of the character of God. Look at verse 14. It says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Now, honestly, if he just says that and stops, you're like, that's not actually helpful. Do not be afraid. You're like, brother, there's a lot of them. And I don't know if you noticed, but they're all around us. And they got weapons too. Do not be afraid. That's not enough. But he doesn't stop there. 
Do not be afraid. What does he say? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He says, remember God is great and awesome. What are you saying? Remember that God is all powerful. Remember that God is sovereign. Remember that God is with you right now. Remember that God motivated us and moved us to start the work. And I don't know if you know this, but when God pulls somebody into something, he doesn't just leave them in there in it. Remember your God. The work is more difficult. The enemy is more active. But Nehemiah looks at them and he says, but God is the same. He hasn't changed. The way to get through discouragement, the way to defeat it in your life is actually to not depend on yourself, but to remember and trust and hold on to the sufficiency of God who loves you. Who is with you all the time? When somebody is discouraged, tell them to keep fighting. Let me say it again. When someone's discouraged, remind them of God, yes. And then look them in the face and say, don't give up. Tell them to keep fighting. Don't worry about the TV, just stay with me. Look at verse 14 again. It says, remember the, the Lord. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What's he doing there? He's telling them, you actually have something to fight for. You have some people behind you. You have some people who are depending on you. He's saying, don't give up. Because here's the thing, Nehemiah is aware, and so are you, that when you're discouraged, it's very easy to give up on God and to give up on the role that God has called you to, to play in the thing that God is doing. He says, don't give up. And I know, I know because I can see it sometimes in your body language when you walk in here, that some of you are tempted to quit on God. I know it. I know it, because sometimes I see it in my own life. It was, when we, when we started this church, honestly, at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is kind of easy. And then, you know, two, three months in, and then there was this thing called COVID. And I was like, oh, this is kind of hard. I'm thinking I could go coach football. I'm thinking I could go get another job. You see, it's really hard to start something. Sorry, easy to start something. It's very hard to complete it. You know why? Because... There's this thing called the middle. There's this thing called the middle, and that's where fatigue sets in. And that's when all these other options start to look just a little bit better than God. But here's the thing. If these people quit, if they quit in the middle, if they gave up right now, do you know what they would have missed out on? They would have missed out on the celebration that came at the end when they finished the wall. If, I don't know if you've read the whole thing yet, but they get the job done. And there's a real big party at the end. 
But if they were to give up right now, they would have missed out on that. And if you give up in the middle, if you quit on God, what you're going to do is you're going to miss out on the beautiful celebration that there's going to be at the end when Jesus returns, when the work is done, you're going to be standing wondering, why did I quit on that? And so we hold on in the middle. And so what I'm telling you is, if you're discouraged right now, what I want to say to you is, don't give up. Don't give up on God. Hold on to God. Ask God to hold on to you in the midst of the struggle and the grind. Because here's what I'm telling you. Victory is coming. Victory is coming. The battle, somebody going to say amen? amen? Yeah, Mama V's here. The battle is going to end. Here's the thing. Here's how I know. Because God is working. Because God is working. Look at, look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had, you say the word, Come on. And that God had, say it, frustrated their plan. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. What what, would Nehemiah say? God. He didn't say we frustrated it. He said God frustrated their plan. God is working. And you're like, how did he frustrate their plan? How did he do it? How How did he frustrate them? How did he make them ease off? Well, he did it through the people's diligence and determination. Look at verse 16. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that they labored on the work with one hand and with one hand and held his weapon in the other. Think about that. If both my arms could work, I would show you. But you know, you're like, you're sort of like, I don't know, doing some masonry on the wall, but then you're like, I got my sword right here. Come on, somebody roll up on me. I dare you. (laughs) Diligence and determination. And in verse 21, it says that the people worked until the stars came out. Have you ever started work in the morning all the way till nighttime? They're like, we're not going anywhere. Oh yeah, you're up in the north. We're, We're here. And then in verse 6, it said, for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah didn't have to really convince them once he showed them and reminded them that God was in it. He's like, they were ready to work. God used that. God frustrated their plan through the people's wise and strategic maneuvers. Look at verse 18. It says, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside them. So then they put into an alarm system. Right? You didn't have to call Rogers to get that. It says, and he said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall from far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that we may be a guard for us by day and by night. 
and may labor in the work. They just kept at it. It says, so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes and he kept his weapon at his right hand. They're like, we're not, even, we're not even going home to change. They just stayed with it. And they were wise and strategic. Think about it. Where, where, I just, this is just coming to me now. Where do you need to be wise and strategic in your life? So you can stay at the work. So you can labor. What needs to come out? What systems do you need to maybe build and bring into your life? Where do you maybe need to put some alarms in so you can truly defend against the enemy? They're wise and strategic maneuvers. God also worked through the people's belief in him. Verse 20, it says, our God will fight for us. They believed it. They believed it. And sometimes in the middle, as we serve the Lord, the thing that we lose sight of is we lose sight and stop believing in the fact that God is fighting for you. That when the people worked, that God was working. That when you work, that God is working. Do you realize that? That you have a part to play? And that your actions, that the things that you do, that the choices that you make, that they can either be helping to advance the work of God or hindering the work of God. That God can use you and is using you. That when you're working, God is working. And he uses our actions. You know what he does? He uses the actions, our service, our beautiful commitment to him. He uses it to build his church. He uses it to lift people out of discouragement. Do you know that? that you can, do you know that you are a beautiful, when you choose to step in, you are a beautiful instrument in the hand of your redeemer. That you can be a blessing in the life of other people. That he uses us in that way to lift people out of discouragement. And here's the best one, to frustrate the plans of the enemy. Somebody say amen. You have a real enemy, but he's gonna lose. Say it, Ken, say it loud. Already losing battle. That's why Satan fights so hard, do you know that? You ever see somebody getting beaten up? Aren't they just flailing, trying anything? You just wait, boom. (laughs) It's a losing battle. That's why he fights the way he does. Dirty tactics, trying anything to stay in the fight. But that's why I told you, victory is coming. And God is working through us to bring about that victory. You have a part in the beautiful plan of God in the thing that he's doing in the world. So don't give up. Keep going. And trust that God is working through you, that he is working as we work. We cannot lose. Here's why. God is involved. God is involved. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you glory and we give you praise for the true reality, Lord God, that you are working as we work. God, I want to pray specifically for those who are 
discouraged. I pray, Lord God, that you would give them strength. I pray you would move other people, Lord, in our little congregation to encourage them and to be there for them. I pray, oh God, that we would believe that no matter what's going on in the ups and downs of life, that you are with us. I pray, Father, that we would believe in your involvement in the day-to-day realities of our lives. That you are involved in our world and that you're working to mature us, to grow us, and to frustrate our enemy. And I pray, God, that you would help us to endure. Endure to that day when we see Jesus Christ face to face. It's not always easy, Lord God, walking with you, but it is better. Help us to hold on to that reality. Help us to know that as we labor on in weakness and rejoicing, that we will, we will make it home. But it's not through us, oh God. It's through you working in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.